Welcome to the Cashflow Guys Podcast. Yes, we're back. This is Tyler Chef. I am the host of the Cashflow Guys Podcast. And if this is your first time tuning in, let me start by saying, welcome. This is America's favorite podcast for investing in real estate for cash flow. And today I want to talk about, well, the top seven cash flow killers that I found most folks overlook. And let's go ahead and dive right in. Now, why did I talk about this episode? Because I keep seeing people make the same mistakes over and over again. I'll tell you, I've made these some of these mistakes myself. Everybody can possibly make these mistakes, so don't think that you're immune from it. Some of you are probably going to kick back and think, I would never do something that stupid. Well, I got news for you. You may not do this, these seven things that are stupid, but it's entirely possible to make other mistakes that are going to cost you money. But these are the most common ones I see. So I want to dive in and kind of talk about the psychology behind how and why we make these mistakes. Sometimes we even know these mistakes are mistakes, but we wind up making them anyway. And it starts with peer pressure. You guys go to the real estate meetings, I'm sure, and you always see that little group sitting around talking about deals and all the stuff they've done and like the cool kids group, right? The cool kids club. When you're new, that's very daunting. Those are people that supposedly are doing deals or they're all rich and that's why they're sitting at real estate meetings five nights out of the week and, you know, loving life because they're drinking coffee and doing absolutely nothing with their life besides going to real estate meetings. And these are the folks that we wind up aspiring to be like. I don't know why that is, but it is. And I found that peer pressure that and sometimes self-imposed peer pressure tends to make logical people make illogical decisions. Well, sellers, wholesalers, and realtors, they tend to paint an unrealistically rosy picture of how profitable investments will be. Maybe it's that you don't want to disappoint those who are pitching you such an amazing deal. So you want to pull the trigger after all. I know that when somebody says, hey man, buy my stuff and it looks great and everything sounds like it's supposed to be, I believe the intention is that you're supposed to drop what you're doing, pull the trigger before the next guy gets it. And if that's the case, understand that's by design. And I don't want you to think that you need to do deals or you need to pull the trigger on a deal just because Timmy, the wholesaler, says it's a great deal. And Timmy says that it'll rent for $1,000 a month, even though your research indicates $650 a month. Or maybe you don't even do the research to find out that it really rents for $650 a month and you wind up pulling the trigger. It could be that you're so hyped up about doing a deal because you're excited. It could be that you're not even going to do the due diligence. You didn't even bother to look up the rents, that you didn't go to howtomakedeals.com, take my free course to learn how to analyze a deal, to learn how to find out how much rents should be, and you haven't, you didn't do the work. Maybe excitement just took over. Regardless of what it is, you have to do a complete cash flow analysis before you pull the trigger on any deal. Sellers of investment real estate know that you as a newbie do not want to be considered a tire kicker. That's human nature. Nobody wants to feel like they're not being taken seriously. We wind up doing these deals so that we don't disappoint the cool kids. And you think to yourself, why would I care what the cool kids think? The cool kids aren't going to be there when your deal falls apart. Actually, they'll still be there drinking coffee, sitting in the back of the real estate meeting, giggling when you can't cash flow. Or you now have to wind up selling it to somebody else and taking a bad deal and handing it off to somebody else to get it off your plate. And that becomes a huge problem, especially with what's going on in the world right now. And what happens typically is you pull the trigger on these shitty deals that just aren't what they should be. And then shortly after closing, you find yourself short of cash over the next few months and you can't figure out why. Well, that's odd, you think? I just bought a rental property and it's rented, so where's all the profits? Well, I'll tell you where, and that's what we're gonna talk about right now, that the top seven things that are gonna kill your cash flow. Vacancy loss, in my opinion, being number one, vacancy loss. The sellers will have you believe that there's no such thing, yet it's your biggest cash flow killer. 
Never underestimate this. In fact, insist the sellers show a lengthy track record of income stability. And now I know that those of you that do single family houses are going to have a hard time with this, especially if the property was not previously rented or is not currently rented, I should say. Now, if they don't have a track record, so you're going to have to assume based on your research, you're going to make come to some certain assumptions, certain amount of assumptions to, to speak of to decide whether or not this is a viable rental. I would start with the people that are most responsible for keeping properties rented. That's property managers. I would be speaking to several of them that currently manage property in the area, especially if we talk about single family houses, to get a real good flavor. It's a lot easier with apartments and multifamily because I believe there's more rental examples out there to choose from, more similar properties out there. The prices are tied in more to the income instead of comparable sales because you're not competing against Tom and Susie homeowner. So make sure that you understand what to expect for vacancy, especially right now. That's all the, a lot of folks that can't pay rent or refuse to pay rent. These things have to be factored in. You have to look at the whole picture. The next thing I would cover is property management fees. Now this varies by market area, the size of the asset, what the manager expects, but don't ever ignore this expense thinking that, well, I'm just going to self-manage. That is absolutely a cash flow killer. Every property that you underwrite for rental that you're going to buy as a rental property must have a management fee. Frankly, I think your flip should have a management fee in there. You deserve to get paid to deal with the drama and the contractors and whatnot over and above your profit. That should be a line item because that's going to make your deal more conservative and it's going to make much far more successful because you've got some padding in there. Here's the thing. When you factor in some of these fees that I'm talking about, or frankly, you should factor in all these fees I'm talking about, the worst that'll happen is you'll be more profitable. The worst that'll happen is you'll negotiate harder for a better deal. So if and when the bottom falls out of things or your tenant moves out, well, guess what? You've already allowed for vacancy loss. You allowed for 15% management fee. Let's talk about utilities. A lot of people say, but Tyler, the tenant pays utilities. Well, sure, up until they move out. And when they move out, guess who's going to pay the power bill? If you're in Florida, you're going to pay a power bill because you don't want that thing to turn into a moldy mess. That's a relevant expense. It's just how it is. You may pay it for a week or two weeks or a month, or you might pay it for three, four, five months. Who knows? If you're up north, maybe you're going to keep the gas on or the electric on to keep the heat on so the pipes don't freeze. Or maybe you need to keep the electric on so you use that uh, pipe wrap or whatever it is to keep your pipes from freezing. There's still going to be an expense with that. That again could be several months. I've, I'm, I hear that up north, folks don't like to move in the winter. I helped a friend move once in the wintertime. That was traumatizing, having to slog somebody's couch through a snowdrift. So folks don't move as often in the winter time, which means you might experience, if you're up north, longer vacancy loss. Just number one, we just said, you may be paying those utility bills a little bit longer. Let's talk about insurance. I find that probably 75% of the people I talk to have completely guessed when they thought, uh, when they figured out the cost of insurance. They never bothered to even call the insurance agent. Or worse, the insurance agent didn't bother to call them back, so they just assumed, well, my house is 2,000 square foot. I figured this duplex is about 2,000 square square foot. Should be about the same, right? Well, you find out that that's a whole different risk. Lots of different factors in there. Just because your house is a similar size to the one you're thinking about buying does not mean the insurance cost will be even close. One's going to be a rental property. Let's say if you're doing a flip, if you don't have vacant house insurance, what if some knucklehead contractor drills a sheetrock screw through a wire and starts the house on fire? Maybe somebody does installs plumbing and isn't paying attention because they're flipping on Facebook or doing whatever they're doing and they flood the, the place. What if a tenant upstairs lets the bathtub overrun? And in my case, let's sewage intentionally backs up sewage into a place causing thousands of dollars in damage and you either don't have appropriate coverage or you underestimated the cost of insurance so it eats away at your cash flow next thing you know you find yourself writing checks to your rental property my favorite one 
<laughs> I see quite commonly, is overestimating rent amounts. Here's the thing, guys. Use multiple data sources to determine what fair market rent should be. Now, fair market rent does not mean the highest rent possible. It does not mean it should rent for a thousand because the wholesaler told me it, it would. It does not mean that the broker said it rents for eleven fifty. It should rent for somewhere in the neighborhood of nine hundred to eleven fifty, even though it's currently renting for five hundred dollars a month. That's because the, the landlord was afraid that if they raised the rent, somebody would move. Well, <laughs> guys, that's not a good reason, and frankly, it happens to be the most popular reason that I hear. Let me ask you, why is it if it rents for eleven fifty, normally, why is the landlord only getting five hundred? Well, because he didn't want them to move. It's like that's ridiculous. Come on, really? So you underrented a place for decades so the tenants wouldn't move. I would frankly prefer they move because you could get a hell of a payday. Anyway, use classified ads. By that I mean go on to Craigslist, look for rental properties that have been ads have been out there for a little while. I've talked about this in the past. Pick up the phone, call these landlords, ask them if it's been rented. If it hasn't been rented, then you know whatever rent amount they're asking is probably too high. If it was already rented, ask them if you know. Don't mind me asking. I'm a fellow landlord trying to get an idea of what rent should be in a market. Could you tell me what it wound up running for? Did you get the, the thousand dollars that was in the ad? No, no, I had to discount it to 900. Okay. That's good data. Tell me about the property. Was it a, it's a two one I see here in the ad, but there's only one picture out front. Did it have carpet or tile? What are the uh, updated appliances, updated kitchen? What's it look like? Ask him these questions. You'll find that a lot of landlords are more than willing to help their fellow landlords be successful. Not everybody looks at each other like competition. There is life beyond the real estate meeting. I'm here to tell you. I got the phone, call them. One of very reliable data source. Some of you might giggle when I, when I even say this but a very reliable rental data source has proven to be the MLS. In most areas, the MLS is a database of showing that everywhere every realtor has rented a property to somebody. Keeping in mind that in most municipalities, to be a property manager for somebody else, you're required to have a real estate license. This is at least the case in Florida and a lot of other states that I've worked in. And I'm here to tell you that there's a lot of good data there. And I can also tell you that the people most willing, it's been my experience, to give away the rent are property managers. In other words, discount rents and whatever, because let's be honest, they want to get the thing rented and move on on to something else. So if you're looking for conservative rent data, get with a realtor. If you are a realtor, go look in the rental section of the MLS. Look for properties that are already rented and use that data. You should be able to see, also see pictures of the properties to make sure that it's relevant. Make sure you're not comparing a three-bedroom to a two-bedroom or a townhome to a single family house with a garage and a pool. Use Rentometer Pro. Why do I say Rentometer Pro? It's not because they were a sponsor of mine. It's because they have put out good data and you can differentiate between houses and apartments. I'm here to tell you a two bedroom, one bath house will generally rent more for more than a two bedroom apartment. Two bedroom, one bath apartment. Number one with a house, there's a pretty good chance you're going to get a garage. You're also going to get a yard. That's going to yield a higher rent result. So if your property is a duplex, then I wouldn't use the figures for a single family house because that will give you inaccurate data. It will show it higher than what it should be. Boys and girls, be conservative when it comes to estimating rent. Be very conservative, which means don't believe that that wholesaler that tells you it's low, it'll rent for $1,200 a month when all your data indicates it's only rents for $500 a month. Oh, but if you build a duplex next door in the vacant lot, then it'll make all kinds of money. Well, who's going to build the duplex? I can't pay the seller based on what the property is going to do after I'm done improving it. You can only pay the seller based on what the property currently does or what it can currently produce in its current condition. You're not going to be able to raise the rent on day one, regardless of what the seller, the realtor, or the wholesaler tells you. Next thing, number six, is misjudging rent-ready repairs. Man, I get this one all the time. Guys, go get quotes from licensed contractors for work needed before you get locked down. Why licensed contractors? Well, number one, they're generally held to a little bit higher standard. I say that tongue in cheek. Never take the word of those who are willing to sell you the property. If they're willing to sell you the property, then I wouldn't take anything they say with a grain of salt. It doesn't matter. They have a they have a, a re compelling need for you to buy the property so they can get a payday. Don't believe them. Go get a licensed contract. Why a licensed contractor? Well, they're going to have a higher bid, number one. And you can use that when the seller comes back or the realtor, the wholesaler comes back and says, $7,000 to remodel the kitchen. That's crazy. I could do it for 12 bucks. Really? Then why don't you go ahead and get that? 
that done before closing. And here are the standards I want it done to. That'll usually shut them up. Don't get caught here, guys. Getting getting estimates that are higher than what it might actually cost you if you have some other guy do it isn't a bad thing. It gives you negotiating power, so use that to your advantage. Lastly, taxes. Man, this gets this is a gotcha that gets just about every person that I talk to, I've talked to in the last year that have called in from the podcast and bought a cash flow property. This is the gotcha that gets almost all of them. Boys and girls, when you purchase a property, the property tax will increase to match the purchase price that you paid for the property. Now, I know engineer brains, there are exceptions to every rule and not every municipality. That's the case. But I can tell you that in about 95% of, of taxable municipalities in the United States, this is absolutely the case. When you pay the property, when you buy the property, they're going to record that transaction. You're going to pay doc stamps on that, a tax. They're obviously, taxing authorities are going to see this when they cash that check from the closing table. Now they know that someone was willing to pay $200,000 for the duplex. Well, guess what? That $200,000 duplex that's not cash flowing because it's a $200,000 duplex and doesn't get enough rent at $750 a month, that bad boy is not, you think it didn't cash flow before? <laughs> Wait till you get the tax bill. It's definitely not going to cash flow. Furthermore, if the home was previously owner-occupied, a homestead exemption could have been on the property. Here's a good example. Jill and I used to live in uh, one of our fourplexes in Tarbon Springs, Florida. When we moved out, when we lived there, we have homestead exemption. Now we don't. See the difference? That raised our taxes pretty high. So that because that exemption came off. So how do you get around this? Well, very simply, you pick up the phone, you call your local tax collector, you tell them what you intend to pay for that particular property, try to have the parcel number or tax ID number available and the address. Now understand this, the person on the phone is your average government worker half the time. No disrespect to those that are government workers listening to the show, but let's be honest, most of government workers, municipal workers are not killing it when it comes to productivity. They're going to give you grief and try to dodge the question because they're actually going to have to sit down and type it in the computer to come up with, to tell you what it comes up with. Keep pushing through until you get an answer. In a lot of municipalities in our local area, you can actually go to the tax collector's website, put in the purchase price, and it will calculate the new tax rate for you. So guys, just a couple tips to try to get you guys out of hot water. Lots of weird stuff going on. People are saying the market's crashing on one side, but I'm here to tell you, it seems like everybody's buying everything that's not nailed down. I mean, we've got properties. We had properties. We listed them. They were under contract in 24 hours. It's crazy how much business is going on right now, even though there's a mortgage crisis, even though we're coming out of a pandemic, even though we're in the middle of an economic crisis, the stock market's all over the place, oil is a train wreck, people are buying like crazy. Hey, for some of you, that'll be great if you're doing your work and understanding the math behind these deals. The rest of you might be getting a bath. Run through these seven steps to make sure you're not going to take that financial bath. Keep yourself safe out there, guys. Go ahead and do some great deals. If you have questions, reach out to me. You know how to find me. Have a great week. This concludes today's episode. You don't have to wait till the next episode to learn to earn. Head over to CashflowGuys.com and contact Tyler and his team for more powerful tips and ideas. So you can start generating multiple streams of income and escape the rat race.